Hi, and welcome to the Temple Podcast. My name is Edward Pike. I'm the founder of the Temple. And this podcast is um, a place, a place for us to explore the, the various temples of humanity, of our homes, of our relationships, of our bodies, our practices, and our businesses. So a couple of weeks ago, my partner Rob Sykes and I had a very inspiring conversation with my dear friend Neo Hart. So I've known Neo for nearly 10 years. He, he was my, my first ever photography teacher. And he's always been a dear friend and a background light, let's say, in my creative and artistic endeavors. So in this podcast, we touch on the idea of creativity as a spiritual practice, on the importance of looking after ourselves and really of grounding and self-care in order to expand and contain creative energy, on how we and you can, can make art more from heart, and on a very exciting and expanding project that Neo runs called the Gift Your Heart Out Project. So Neo is an artist and a teacher, and he supports people to deepen their creativity by living more from heart. In 2003, he had an awakening experience, and this left him with the ability to center himself in the heart. And this had a profound impact, as you can imagine, on his body and mind. Um, he became deeply grounded and lucid, and he was able to spontaneously move and express uh, vocally. And all of this he's been exploring and developing and teaching ever since in his healing practice, in his artistic mentoring, and of course his own life, art, and work. I've had the pleasure uh, of experiencing Neo's work, both as I said as a photography student, but also uh, as a healing um, student. And I can really vouch for the, the depth the compassion, the care, and the profound sensitivity that Neo has in his work. So he currently works with private clients, and he's also the creator of something that we talk a lot about in the podcast, which is the Fembot Oracle, and that's a very powerful tool that Neo has created. It consists of 78 long exposure uh, photographic images that uh, accompany 78 text. So I'll let Neo tell you more about that within the podcast and you can find out more about his full story and all the links that you need um, in the text below the below the recording so i really invite you to just soak up neo's words uh, with all your being with an open heart and open mind and to really allow yourself to be inspired and to be moved uh, by his wisdom and his depth and his uh, as you'll see his beautiful way with words we all want to help one another human beings are like that we want to live by each other's happiness not by each other's misery we don't want to hate and despise one another this world there's room for everyone and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone the way of life can be free and beautiful hello my friend neo how are you very good how are you both yeah good thank you it's really good to have this conversation i'm very excited and deeply curious about um what you're going to be sharing with us today me too <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess part of the reason why I really felt called to, to have this conversation with you is, um, we've been friends for a, for a long time now, a while. And for me, you've been kind of a, a real guide, a real, I want to say even mentor around my creativity. And at the beginning, very hands-on with the photography that you, um, you taught me, but, and now in the past few weeks even a few months or a few years it's been kind of you know through our conversations and then through through the work that you're doing also through through the Facebook group that we'll, we'll talk about um, in a moment 
So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you because I feel like you've really um, awakened and opened me up to creativity. And um, I'm really curious and excited um, to be able to share, well, to get kind of deeper into understanding you and you know, your journey to the work that you're doing and, and how, you, how you bring, well, no, not how you bring, but you know, your perspective and your understanding of creativity. So that's really what I'm curious about exploring with you today. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so maybe to start us, start us off, you could just talk a bit about where you're at right now, perhaps about your current work, about what you're, what you're working on at the, at the moment. How does that sound? Yeah, I'm really happy to be here with both of you. Um, obviously, there's such incredible, challenging times at the moment. And one of the things that's called me back, it happened just before really the pandemic was declared. Maybe a week before that, I had written a book, which I know that you both know about called the Femba Oracle. And I started that over three years ago. So it's a collection of 78 images and 78 texts and a short introduction all supporting the same purpose, which is to support us to deepen our creativity. So it works as an Oracle deck and it works as something that people can just dip in and out of for a couple of minutes a day, or that they could use it to support them over the course of hours or days to explore aspects of themselves aspects of their heart and so I had written the first version of it um, by the end of 2017 and it adjusted itself as I was using it with clients and people were um, using it themselves but then it became quite clear that I wanted to put it out in the world as a physical deck to have it published physically and that the writing itself wasn't finished it was a good working text and so I spent the last three weeks waking up at five o'clock every morning with one day off a week and rewriting it all. And it took me five months to write it the first time. And so I'm really happy to say I've just finished writing all 78, Mm. rewriting them. Some of them were complete rewrites, some were heavy edits, some were light edits. But the, um, the joy I feel right now, having done that, it's really brought me even into deeper clarity as to why creativity matters at a number of levels, partly because I'm writing the introduction to the book again. And so three years ago, I, I had a very different relationship with my own creative process and creativity and seeing it as the radical, grounded, intimate, spiritual practice that it actually is for me now and for my clients. So it's been such a, it's been amazing that the Femba Oracle as a creative project has taught me so much about myself and what I, um, I've, I've heard it said so many times by writers that you write what you need to hear. You write, you teach what you need to learn. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it's so true. And so in creating the Femba Oracle, both working with the images themselves, but also the texts, I've learned so much more about my work and myself. And so that's what I'm finishing off like right now, right now is this morning I was almost, um, I had almost finished writing the introduction. And at that point, the work is complete. Mm. There's a single image left. I had created the 78 images, which have been untouched since I made them and they won't change. But I realized that there was one image left to make and that would be the image for the, for the cover of the book and the, the box set itself. And that... I will also be making today. So it's a really lovely time. It's the end of a three-year project. And at the same time, it's the beginning of a much deeper understanding. For those people that may not have come across the Fembot Oracle, could you describe what the images actually are and what they're made of, how you create them? Yeah, thanks, Rob. I um, So about 17 years ago, I had this very powerful experience with this guy, this man called Kishi-san, who was the developer of a body of work called Seiki. And it opened up my heart. It was a very powerful experience, very mystical in nature and very um, 
still to this day, I don't know what happened, but it left me with an ability to connect to a greater depth of my heart, I believe, I mean, it's still all theory, but what it allowed me access to was a much greater depth of spontaneity. So there was a lot of spontaneous movement that came out of that whilst feeling very, very lucid, very clear headed still, I was able to connect to the deep intelligence of my body through my heart. And so the Femba Oracle is, I suppose, 17 years research work, or at that point in time, it was 14 years when I started to make this. I woke up one morning in February and my, I was somewhere just between being asleep and waking up and my heart was really loud. Um, when I say the heart, for me, I'm not talking specifically about say the heart chakra or the physical heart and its electrical intelligence. When I use the term heart, I'm talking about this place in all of us that integrates body, mind, soul, spirit, whatever those three aspects are that are really kind of structured, spontaneous and still. For me, that's what the heart is. And so it speaks with the voice of the body and the mind because it is part body, mind. So it's a very practical voice. So I heard a very practical voice grounded deeply in soul and spirit, but it was describing to me the layout of this thing, the Femba Oracle. And I just listened for about an hour and a half and I knew that work I'd been exploring with my photography and movement work over the five years before that, which included this engagement with a mythology around an entire Fembot race and their relationship with us as human beings to support us in our own growth, that I could create a whole archetypal set of 78. And there are many, many traditions, Jung talks about this, that use the 78 archetypes as a way of exploring our own humanity. Obviously the tarot is one of those, but I knew that I could adapt the 78 kind of more um, conventional or familiar archetypes to create a map of my understanding of the heart and the way that we can show up with it. So the images themselves use this spontaneous movement that started 17 years ago with long exposure photography. So they're all actually nude self-portraits um, with fabrics and lights. The reason they're nude is because there's an element of transparency. It's not clear from the images that there's a nude man standing there, mm -hmm. but you can see flesh. You can see arms and legs and um, the movement of the neck under light and the movement of the face as it's in its own spontaneous pathway. So I love flesh and I love the fact that my practice as an artist and as a teacher is very much about our embodiment and our sensuality. And so for me, using the skin palette of colors there in movement captured with light and long exposure was a part of this. But I also, like I said, I developed and I made all of these, um, these like light brushes for use of a better word. I fashioned them out of all kinds of really strange materials. And I had like kids toys, like lightsabers and raver gloves with LEDs in the fingers and all manner of things that could capture the path of movement. And that's what I'm really, I suppose, interested in as an artist is capturing the movement of the heart as it expresses through the body. How do we capture the pathway of our movements, whether it's the recording of our words written or spoken or sung or literally our movement. And so the Femba Oracle images are, each image, let's say I was working with the nine of diamonds alignment. I would set the intention to work with alignment and I'd written a couple of keywords for each one. And then I waited and the movement would come through and I'd listen to my heart's voice that would say red, green, blue. And I'd go and pick those lights up and I would just allow myself to move with a remote control in one hand and I would take the pictures on a long exposure and then when I saw the, let's say 60 or 70 images in the shoot, I would, from my heart, choose maybe seven or eight of them. And then I'd start to layer them and work with them in Photoshop. And I see no distinction between me moving in front of a camera or me using Photoshop. Um, I don't make any distinction whatsoever between the analog or the digital, it's all form. It's all got an opportunity to come from heart mm. or from ego. It's identical. Yeah. There's no distinction whatsoever. So working with Photoshop for me, it was quite interesting because my heart knew exactly what to do. But I'm a pretty experienced Photoshop user, but I'm not that good with it. And so I would watch my hands moving with the, 
the mouse and watch it coming to life. And I was really curious as how it was done. So my relatively slow, if you like, more rational mind really had to like follow the history steps to try and learn it. And once I learned it, I understood it. But it was really beautiful to watch the technology being used in a way that seemed much more intuitive or spontaneous. And so over time, I found that I did this 78 times. It took me three months to create the images. And they are expressions of my heart. And each one holds a very particular archetype. And people that have looked at them that um, I know very well and I really trust their judgment at the level of the energetic and the multidimensional and all of those esoteric and more mystical elements. They talk about the impact it has for them and the layers of coding that are in there. So when I'm creating this, there's no attempt to encode mm. um, in any conscious manner. But I believe that when any of us connect to our heart and create from that space, the work we produce is like a tool or a technology. It is encoded itself in transmission. It's the namaste. It's the divine in me witnesses the divine in you. And I think that's across the board, not just in the fine arts, but in our ordinary everyday lives, how we cook food, how we move, how we garden, how we mm. dress ourselves, how we have sex, all of that can be a namaste in action. And that's really what's at the heart of all of this. And so the Femba Oracle for me was, if you like, a spontaneous arising of exploring that with that kind of depth. I'd done lots of things before that, which I felt had a resonance, but it was, it's been a three-year project. And I've never done anything for three years in my life. I don't think I've even lived in a house for three years as an adult, other than the one I live in now for more than a few years. So it was something to really commit to, which has, I think, amazed me more than anything, that it, it had such um, a strong gravity. And in a way, it's a tiny bit sad. Like I say, I finish it pretty much today or tomorrow, knowing that it is finished, that all of the images will be made. They won't be touched again. The text, other than perhaps for a couple of typos, won't be changed again that it will go out into the world as a physical object. It has been an ebook and it is an ebook that will be free forever. I, um, I feel really strongly about that. I want um, people to be able to use it as a tool, whether it's on their phones or on their computers, and I want people to have access to it. It doesn't cost me anything at all to have it out there in the world as, a, as an ebook, as a PDF for free. So there's no distribution cost for that. And I know that we all, there's so much stuff out there that we could use to support or claims to be able to support us to use it. And money isn't necessarily the primary um, barrier to using something. It can be for a lot of people, but for many of us, spending five or 10 pounds may not be the thing that stops us. It's more often just an investment of time. So people can actually just go to thefemberoracle.com, scroll down and make one click. They don't even have to put their email address in. I didn't want anything that would inhibit people from giving it a look mm. at the very least. And even if it just got shelved away, perhaps their heart might whisper to them, oh, have a, have a look at that maybe six months yeah. later, or perhaps maybe they jump to it. I am gonna create a, um, a physical deck. I am gonna have that published um, so people can buy a physical copy if they prefer something in hand. But I hope people use the ebook with the um, physical deck if they yeah. buy the physical deck, because it's, it's really vibrant. You get to see the depth and the detail of the imagery. Mm. And get to be with it but but everything is on online everything is freely available online on the femboracle.com yeah. and it's very selfish on my part because i want to live in a world where more people are living more from heart and if this helps in any way then i'm better off for that yeah, yeah. So. i i really love what you just said about um that when you're in that space of depth um it kind of it, it's a natural expression and transmission of something deeper and you mentioned a structure, spontaneity, and stillness. So I would, I would love to, to find out more about that, about one, about perhaps your, your journey, your learning, your challenges to get to that depth of clarity and understanding. But also, you know, if there's a specific or what, a practice that you have or that you've created that allows you to to touch that place kind of over and over again, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I said earlier, like I'd always had a very strong interest from at the age of 15 in what I would call the spiritual. So this sense of inquiry into depth, though going beyond the structure. Yeah. So as you say, there, structure, spontaneity, stillness, um, 
craft, curiosity, connection. There are so many within most spiritual traditions. The the three, the perennial wisdom is all about that, about how all these different aspects integrate. And so from an early age, I knew there was much more than the first aspect. It's as spiritual as the other two aspects, but I knew there was more than that. And I could hear my heart's voice from an early age. I didn't know it was my heart's voice, but I knew there was a, a greater depth, a, a deeper intelligence. I rarely listened to it or took action from it. Mm-hmm. I think like most people, it was yeah. it was there alongside the much louder voice of the ego. And so over the years, I'd had an interest, but it was more of a flirtation with it, and it would kind of fluctuate, and there'd be some quite interesting experiences, and they'd just get written off as something other than. And then with Kishi-san in 2003, that was a big opening, a big awakening of some kind. And it wasn't like it was the wham-bam big one, like you hear about with people like Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie, where they have a kind of a break in their relationship with ego and something else becomes available. But there was a partial awakening that took place at that point. And in one respect, it made my ego even louder because I I found that I was able to sit with my clients. At the time I was, and I still am doing one-to-one Reiki teaching, but at the time I was a full-time Reiki teacher and um, practitioner. And I knew something wasn't quite right with the way that I had been taught it in terms of that something outside of us was being pumped into us to make us feel better. I just, that didn't resonate at all. And as I've done more research over the years and the way that I teach it, there's a different understanding that in fact, we're bearing witness to the innate uh, health of the person that we're working with that is perhaps stuck or whatever. And so as I was exploring in 2003 alternatives uh, to what seemed to actually be a bit of a dead end or a frustration. Um, I had this experience with Kishi and it, it had its own beauty. And so I started to, once I realized this was something I could share with other people, I could sit with them and they would start to go into spontaneous movement, spontaneous expression, spontaneous language. I thought, woohoo, I found my thing. And at the time I was 31. And so still riddled with all kinds of egoic um, drives. And not that I'm not still, but fewer, thankfully. And um, so immediately try to make it something, try to justify myself, extract some kind of um, I'm all right after all out of it. And that was really tortuous because the joke of it is that this couldn't be simpler. It was about getting out the way and showing up in that moment with no need for anything to have to be there or not be there. And so in that space between me and the client, they would go into all of this freedom and movement. And for the first, I see six years of me doing this, I was the most neurotic one in the room. I was thinking, oh shit, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if they don't get anything? My mind was racing. And I have my own teacher in Vancouver. And she over the 12 years I've been working with her, she's pointed out that so many people that develop their own bodies of work feel like frauds from day one, and it can last a very, very long time. So it wasn't like in that practice, everything became harmonious and wonderful for me. What it did, it would flush to the surface the most ludicrous aspects of my own egoic um, story, that life was um, something that I had to control even more because it's unusual work, this kind of work this kind of alchemy is a very strange way to make a living. And especially when it didn't come with any manual or any course that I did or anything, something happened to me on April 16th in 2003 and my life changed. And so it's been a 17 year journey to make sense of that. And the beauty is it only makes sense backwards. And I really respect that. I think it was David White, the poet in his beautiful audio book, Clear Heart, Clear Mind, I love, and I go back to it time and again. He, he quoted someone, I can't remember who, and they said, if you can see the path ahead of you, it's not your path. And I love that so mm, much. Yeah, I love that. That yeah. sense of the mystery, isn't it, in, in our lives. And so what I know I was able to do was make one step and then another and then another and then another. And my heart guided me over this 17 years. And looking back, the various instincts to 
do this or do that. I mean, I've had a very unusual path in one respect that even though I've had these kind of opportunities to work with people as clients and this way, I've, like five years ago, I decided to become a singer and I couldn't sing for Toffee. Prior to that, I was making a lot of sounds when I would do my spontaneous work and I knew they were on pitch, but I couldn't sing. And so over five years, I found an amazing teacher, Gary Albert Hughes, who does a lot of very deep work with the voice to open it up. And I ended up becoming a cabaret singer. And cabaret for me, if you'd said that five years before, I'd be like, what are you talking about? It's like, why on earth would I? And yet it makes sense why I did. Cabaret is about being transparent. There's no fourth wall with cabaret. You are a good cabaret performer if you are vulnerable, if you are engage with the audience if you're impacted by the audience and impact the audience and so that transparency of heart it turned out especially in such an exposed vulnerable first aspect I mean you're singing lyrics with certain notes and certain words this is not just free form spontaneity which is where I was much more comfortable so it was a it was a discipline that came out of nowhere it seemed and yet I said yes to it in the same way I did with the Fembo Oracle so for me I've learned how to listen to what seems to come out of left field. And many of those things fall away, but some of them really stay and they develop roots. And then with a really gentle curiosity, I look to see how it fits into the big picture without any need to do that, but it, it starts to happen. And I start to make a little bit more sense, but that's why I think my path, I'm, it would seem a very slow developer in that respect. It's been 17 years of exploration. And in many respects, I haven't put myself out there um, at all. I've been keeping my cards very close to my heart. And that's cost me in a number of ways, a degree of isolation. I was saying to a very good friend the other day that in this isolation we're going into now, obviously, with corona, it brought up a lot of sadness for me. I'm sure for many reasons, but I think one of them was because my life was not actually that different um, in many respects that having explored over the last 17 years, albeit with clients, um, but a lot of this has been a very solitary exploration as an artist and as someone working. And I realized just how much I depend upon so many of the little social engagements that have been restricted, obviously, in these times now. But it's really spoken to that sadness that can come with entering into a field that you know that you are working in, but maybe you don't feel you're ready yet to step forward. Well, I feel ready now. So it's mm -hmm. taken me about 17 years to get to that point of saying, I'm ready to put my hat in the ring and um, at least say, well, here's something. You may like it, you mm -hmm. may not like it. And I don't know why I'm not particularly an overly cautious or conservative person, but it's taken me 17 years. I think if we're going to step into this ring and say to people, I can support you to deepen your creativity. I can support you to live more from heart. That's a mm. big, big thing to say. And there are some wonderful teachers out there that I go to so often in terms of their books and their teachings. And there are a lot of people as well that it's a very crowded field of people putting out a lot of just cliche and gumph and it's quite mesmerizing at one level. But I think there's the part of me now that feels ready to say, if you're gonna do this, then really do it. And so it's been a bumpy 17 years, but, and we've known each other, Ed, for a good while. And we both know each other's journey in this respect of, where we have struggled either financially or if we're doing fine with financially, then we're looking at the different way that we're working with innovation or things that are really opening us up when we become comfortable. So it's been a really, um, it's been an incredible path, but not an easy one. Hmm. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. 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 It does. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how do you, how do you put this into into practice nowadays? Like, is there a specific um, routine or discipline that you have? I mean, the, the, another way of saying this, which is kind of connecting with the theme of the podcast, is like, another question is like, what is your, your temple? You know, which is what are the practices? Mm -hmm. What are the ways, the spaces that you have created over the years that you're using maybe nowadays 
to 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 bring this through how do you do that yeah thank you i um thank you for that question because it's such a beautiful question to um to think i i see creativity as my primary spiritual practice yeah and when i say creativity i mean going to that place to that edge where i meet my own um heart and living more from heart is itself a practice the word more is because it's a journey mm. we come up against all of our egoic conditioning i see the ego as something very um innocent in one respect it's um i love adyashanti he's one of my absolute favorite teachers he's i love his definition of it it's more of a verb than a noun it's identification with our trauma and so as human beings we've experienced a lot of trauma some of us really extreme trauma some of us more day to day trauma but we identify with it especially as kids and then we create entire worlds around it so a spiritual practice is where those worlds meet where the ego meets the heart it isn't just in the safe places we've already become really um free and where we can disappear off as if we're having a bit of a a chocolate break or something and we can go oh lovely mm-hmm. i found my spiritual practice that reassures me or makes me feel calm or collected mm. and i think so many of us use spirituality in that way to bypass yeah. Yeah. or or not even bypass it's just the place that we're already familiar with and it's a lovely place to go even if we're not bypassing but to come to that creative edge where we are embracing ourselves as people that really are uncertain and not knowing and like you say if you can't looking at that path ahead and realizing that isn't my path and so the courage to take just one step at a time for our path and to apply that in a particular area that shows up in the world whether it's in the ordinary whether it's in the arts or whether it's in the more mystical and the alchemy the actual application of that is where we show up as human beings that's why i think it's such a radical spiritual path creativity because it isn't disembodied and conceptual i don't think the ego is that threatened by that anymore i think maybe a couple of thousand years ago ideas like that were so heretical but nowadays living like that is heretical yeah. that's the thing that's actually going to bring us into a greater depth of resourcefulness in these times of challenge yeah into connection profound solutions and also profound opportunities to really step into our passion so i feel that actively creating for me is a really important part of my mm. practice and that kind of brings me on to what you mentioned at the beginning that um i know that the three of us are obviously connected through this through the facebook group art more from heart i feel that this act of creativity and putting it out there so that others can be impacted at the level of heart in that namaste in action it's so important to create community around that that whilst we create many of us in a solitary way and if we're lucky enough we find collaborators where we can connect and it's just such an incredible thing to find but most of us create in a solitary manner but then to enter into community with it to create it as a gift to share that is fundamental and one of the things within this group that i set up um late last year in 2019 um was to create a safe space where people could share anything and if they asked for it in the form of giving asking for green light feedback people could share what impact it had for them whether they felt themselves a little bit more in their hips or, or neck or whatever it was mm-hmm. and then i thought wait a second there's an invitation here beyond just simply share what you like to maybe connect as a group and so week by week we have a different theme yeah to support whether it's resourcefulness or passion or freedom that we just set an intention we're not trying to draw a picture of resourcefulness we're just basically <laughs> saying that's gerard's as the next day that would be really nice exactly that could be the <laughs> next year's project um with finger puppets um <laughs> to basically set the intention so let's say it's whatever this week we oh god i can't remember last week was well-being well-being last week yeah oh gosh good question what's this week's one openness look. no i don't know no that was an old one an old one okay <laughs> let me cheat and look it up but um let's say last week's one well-being yeah 
to set the intention to support well-being in anyone that comes into engagement with the work. And then let go of that as, an, as like a, something in the head and create a piece. Whatever it is, whether it's a song or whether you cook a dinner and either film it or um, take a photograph of it, or you do a painting or whatever, perform a song, make a movement, anything at all imbued with that intentionality. And also specifically as a gift for us as a community mm. has really done something for our community, hasn't it? I don't know yeah. how you felt about it, but it's felt like it's galvanized something amongst us to have this connecting point and to appreciate the gift that our creativity is yeah. for and, and from each other. Yeah. And, and I think my experience of it has been, it's, 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 pushed is the wrong word but it's pushed me to do more it's pushed me to every week to sit down you know when I can and to kind of and to create something that um I wouldn't do otherwise I wouldn't sit down and, and just create for the sake of expressing my heart um I would do it Amazing. you know on random occasions but this is a real and I use the word structure and even discipline or practice that you've kind of created with this group that is for me, really inspiring and and really useful in that sense. Like with that structure, it just is something that just yeah, just encourages and inspires and moves mm -hmm. to, to to keep creating, to keep exploring with in new new ways. Yeah, that's so good to hear. I tell you, but that's exactly what I'd hoped it would do is just to give us an excuse to do it. Yeah, when I exactly. um, when I first so. In 2003 is when all the movement and everything opened up, but it wasn't until 2006 that I had the courage to go against this one voice inside me, which was like a Billy Elliot father voice in the beginning of the film. It was incredibly dismissive of anything as superficial as creativity, that it was some kind of just frivolous thing because I was doing lots of energy work and that seemed very noble and important and supporting clients with serious things and that somehow to draw would be frivolous and somehow beneath me, even though I enjoyed the arts in every form, but somehow no, that's not for me, that's nice for the neighbors, they can do that. And so I found myself in this art shop feeling like a total imposter and um, like I was trespassing, but another part of me knew I belonged there and I bought a big stick of charcoal and this huge roll of beautiful paper. And the entire time I'm in the shop, I could hear this voice like, what are you doing? Oh, for God's sake, you've really lost it now. I mean, I'm just buying charcoal and paper. Hmm. And I went home, literally, it was a very Billy Elliot, the whole thing, in defiance. I mean, it's a bit of a sad film, this man walking home with charcoal and paper. It's not particularly <laughs> Hollywood. But I, I taped it up on the, the wall, uh, cut a piece, um, about a metre 50 by metre 20. And I masking taped it to the wall, <laughs> that it was like, and now what? this voice <laughs> and I just stood there with this stick of charcoal in my hand having never done anything like this before at all I'd written myself off as not being able to draw that didn't take long after maybe three lessons of GCSC art thanks to the wonders was my art education of being dismissed as one of the ones that was incapable as so many of us are and I had that what the age 12 or 13, no, older, 15. But so many of us get it, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm like, oh, no, dear, that's not you. You're not one of those. You're not one of the creatives. And so for me, just really feeling like, no, I can't do that. But I knew I was a bit arty, and so I stuck with things that were a bit more spontaneous, but somehow felt, well, it's not really proper, is it? So I'm standing there with all these old shadows and demons basically saying, well, what are you doing? A, this is unimportant, or B, you're not up for this. So I had it covered from every angle, really. And I just stood there and I connected to my heart and my arm floated up as it would all the time. I go into lots of spontaneous movement, which is why I wanted to do this. I wanted to see if I could capture the pathway of that. And I waited and my, I felt possibly to this day one of the biggest buildups of energy I've ever felt. Thought I would explode and there was this like shaking on the paper and then suddenly my arm made this movement and uh, I opened my eyes, it was over the course of maybe a second, and I looked at the paper and I, I think I teared up. I was like, oh my God, that's me. It was like a, a drawing of me in profile, my bum sticking out, my chest, my head, and I could see it. And I, I couldn't understand 
how it was possible. As I had my eyes closed and it was this build up of energy. And then from that point on, actually, and then that voice, I think in that moment died, the voice of like, pff, it was like, it was called out and that's all it is. These are, these are fabricated stories by a, a center, our ego, that is desperately trying to keep us safe and then suddenly realizes, oh, okay, that's not true. Where else do I go with this mm. neurosis? And so it abandoned that because it, it couldn't invest in that anymore because yeah. something had actually taken place there. And so when we come into the vulnerability of meeting all those voices that say you are not a creative or worse, the ones that tell you you are a creative and that somehow you can lock yourself away in this egoic narrative of superiority that I'm not like those ordinaries over there. Somehow I'm buffered. That cuts you off even worse than those people that in quotes say, I'm not very creative. What generally happens is, is their creativity slips in in the everyday. But for us who are actively interested in cultivating a particular craft and committing to it at the level of saying, living more from heart is actually what I'm committed to. That's what an artist is, whether they're professional or whether they're amateur in my book, it's someone who is committed to deepening their creativity to living more from heart. So it's a stepping up and perhaps we do it like many of us do in a number of medium, or perhaps it's done in one, it could be the healing arts, it could be the martial arts, it could be the performing arts, the culinary arts, but the arts just simply mark a depth of engagement. But we all, whether or not our interest is in a particular depth or the everyday or alchemy for that matter, we're all, regardless of the context, got equal access to creativity because it's our nature. Mm. I came up with a definition just this week of creativity, which took me, I suppose, three years to come to from this, and that it is grounded, spontaneous, heart-centered action. That's what creativity is. And so for me, that helps me recognize that to connect deeper to my heart, which itself is the spiritual practice, Creativity is the temple. Yeah. And it's the activity. Mm. And so the actual meeting of engagement at that level, and it isn't reduced down to charcoal on paper or long exposure photography. It is how I live my life. It's, it, it's beyond mindfulness because it's a lot more engaged and messy and passionate and intimate and sensual. Yeah. Um, but it has a quality of mindfulness to it as well. But it's how we meet those elements in our lives that so many of us as spiritual types would rather avoid the messy bits. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. I love your the definition of creativity. And I'm 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 really curious about you and and specific disciplines or specific not disciplines specific structures that you have with your specific ways that you support that grounded heart-centered um creativity like i know we've talked about for example you know your your love for food or your home or you know your schedule your the park near you your dog or the people around you so i'd love you to speak a bit about that like what what is how important are those things to support that creative expression. Absolutely. I, one of the things I've created over the, because um, I do a lot of client work where I'm working one-on-one -on -one with people that have a whole range of situations that they may want to start, but it always dovetails or it has done over time to being a conversation really about how they are living from heart and creativity. And so out of things that weren't necessarily about that initially, I started to create um, a couple of frameworks for understanding. And all of this is on my website, Deepen Your Creativity. So one of the things which I came to understand was something called the formula. I've come to understand the formula. I came up with a thing and I called it the formula. <laughs> and it talks about how we can, what is required to actually live more from heart. It isn't a, well, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. Our bodies are literally our nervous systems. Our cells, our bone marrow, everything is shaped by our mind. And so if we have been living in this contracted egoic way and then we were to suddenly just turn the volume up, our bodies can't handle that. So I think physical practice 
at the level of the body is fundamental. So I'm what I would call the three aspect body really does look at all those things you just said, food, liquids, rest, movement, sex, sleep, all of those things, I think, literally rebuild us, our relationship with them, to the point where our, our wiring is upgraded. So as we be, take greater and deeper and deeper steps into our creativity, we can actually hold it. Mm. So for me, not only are they excellent places where we can explore our creativity as a practice, they're also fundamental. I feel that that permission, which in my formula is X, is the thing we have to work on. And that is a physical, emotional, mental level of being adept, being able to hold our own nature. And what happens? So in this formula, X equals A minus B. Let's say that A is kind of this raw creative energy. Let's say you've got a thousand there, like say a Whitney Houston, really, really high. But X, the permission to be in, or the ability to hold it is really low. Then we have to have a really big minus B and that's where addiction comes in and dramas and all of these things that we offset that energy. If we've got a hell of a lot of energy and we aren't feeling it safe to express it truthfully, authentically, then we will siphon that energy off in ways that are not truthful and authentic. And so in that respect, the minus Bs, they provide the function of us not exploding but the unfortunate thing is it often diminishes our capacity to actually show up courageously. If you look at, say, the downward spiral for, say, someone like Amy Winehouse, she comes in with this remarkable ability and passion and depth of ability to impact through her voice. And in that excellent documentary about her, you see, in the beginning, she says, you know what I need? I need to be in small jazz rooms just performing this. That would do me brilliantly. And instead, she's pushed and cajoled for various reasons into the big arena where a lot of her demons cannot hold themselves stable. And so through drink and drugs, she offsets that contrast between who she feels she can be. She's someone who knows she can show up for a small room of people and impact them beautifully. And instead on the global stage, she has to hold all kinds of projections and everything. And at a certain level, isn't adept to do that. Unlike someone, say, like Tina Turner, I've seen her perform live, and the only word I can use to describe her is she's a shaman. She held the entire stadium. And I know for a fact from someone who worked with her that when she got off stage, she would take her wig off and Tina Turner was taken off. She knew who she was. Her ex was very, very high. I know that she is a Buddhist practitioner and she has a very strong spiritual tradition, has been through hell, obviously, in her life with Ike. But she's someone that to me stands so clearly as a symbol of what is possible at the level of an artist when you know who you are and you nourish yourself at that depth, that you can hold that without having to enter into the spiral of what happens if we don't know who we are. So for me, the practice of living more from heart, absolutely explicit to that is what is required to do that rather than just that, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's so powerful. And so for me, all those things, and my dog absolutely yeah. is probably at the top of that list. I have the most yeah. incredible dog who's just turned 10, and his energy and his nature bring me into a moment-by-moment -moment, um, kind of possibility of recognizing this inherent playfulness and joy that is available in each moment. But also, he's taken me out into nature. I mm. think that's become a really big thing for me. I'm 48 now, and it's taken me a good while I only just started to watch gardening shows on Netflix. I'm so madly in love with them. But if you said that to me a short while ago, I'd be like, don't you dare, don't even think about it. <laughs> like two or three years ago, I could not recognize Manhattan. But I, lucky I have a garden. And in the last few years, I have come to, um, with the help of a very good friend, Aaron Leesley, who is a genius at the level of understanding plants. He has coached me in how to connect to them, which is like brilliant, brilliant work. And so connecting more to nature um, has definitely supported my system at every level to be able to handle greater and greater creativity. Moving is, I think, my primary practice because that's pretty much where all of my 
the last 17 years and before I, I danced for a very long time and still do. And I have found an incredible group called the Dancing Dow in London. And I think as an actual practice, it's probably my primary practice now. They have, well, before Corona, obviously, weekly meets and then monthly meets and also these intensives. And I found that the quality of work supported by the teachers there um, are incredible, like absolutely incredible. That sense of community and embodied movement. So for me, that is probably, I would say, my primary practice. I studied um, Aikido for seven years, which was an amazing practice as well. Anything that's bringing me into movement with heart, yeah. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Nice. Is there anything you want to ask, Rob? Um, yeah, there's, I, I just want to go back to something you said earlier when you were talking about the Fembot Oracle, and you said you've rewritten the text. Yeah. Is that, um, what, what, what inspired you to, to change it? Was that a kind of, is that like the, the, the creative that's looking for perfection or was it something else? It's a good question. I, when I wrote it the first time, I would, I didn't see myself as a writer at all. And I was very confident I could make the images. And I thought, well, in the model of other Oracle decks out there, I knew they had a little book and they had something nice, excuse me, written for each piece. And I would just knock something up that sounded a bit good. And so it was all pretty cohesive and um, made sense. It certainly wasn't um, empty or flat token but nonetheless I was just kind of getting through it thinking that the primary part of this project were these images which I really could feel such a deep impact for myself and the few people I showed it to as it was developing too so the writing initially was an add-on and then I got to the five of lights uh, which is loss and I wrote it and I don't know what happened that day but I wrote from my heart for the first time probably in my entire life and um, I read it and I teared up, not so much at what I'd written, because even though it is beautifully evocative because we're dealing with loss, the archetype of loss, but I realized I could write from my heart. And then I was like, oh shit, I've got to rewrite everything. <laughs> and so it was, it was that sense of, yay, oh God, <laughs> I actually oh, got to bring this. And that was literally, yeah, taking me to my edge. Mm. I, was, um, I was in my deep edge making, the movements but I was also joyful on making the images in that sense of wow so of course it brings you into all of the awareness of I can do this but also can I do this mm. and so that the story I had that I couldn't particularly write I was good in other areas but not that was being perpetually challenged and so not to mention it was a different way that my brain would be working and so I found that as I returned or I carried on with the texts I did five rewrites in total for the first version. And I would generally be able to write a paragraph and then my head would pretty much hit the kitchen table, which is where I was writing at. I would just literally fall asleep. Or I don't know if it was falling asleep. I would like just go out. And then I'd wake up maybe like 20 minutes later and go, okay, let's try another sentence. So it was a very laborious process. And I feel that at some level, my whole system was upgrading to be able to handle doing it. So it took a lot of energy. It took five months non-stop work I didn't do any client work in that period I just devoted myself entirely in that nine month period to creating the images and the text and it, it was all I had Rob basically at that point in time and I knew it was a good working um, version mm. and I got some really lovely feedback from people about the writing but I also knew simply from my um because from a rational basis, I re-edited it five times. So I thought, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds good now. I'm really happy with that. It doesn't, doesn't read problematically or anything, but I knew it wasn't right. I knew a mm. third of them or so were like, they made my heart sing when I read them. They made me, I felt something happen. Another third were close, another third were like, nah, they don't. They sound okay, but they don't do that. They don't have that impact. And so for me, I knew at a certain point in time, perhaps I might be ready to rewrite them. But then I 
gave myself the easy option by saying it's a living text and that it would adjust as and when. And when I would suddenly read through with a client, I would think mm, I could do with a bit of a change. And I, I do Fembo Oracle readings for people where I support them to elicit their own deep intelligence so they write their own answers. Um, so as I would be working with them, reading the text aloud, I would then think, ah, that could be a little different. And maybe after the session, I would then tweak it. And I imagined I would be able to get away with doing that for years and years. And then I realized I wanted to have it finished and I wanted it in the world. And I knew, I don't know how I knew Rob, but I knew that I was ready and that I certainly had the energy and I had the structure. And so I happen to be a morning person. So someone were perhaps an evening person or night person, just know what type of person you are in terms of where you've got three great hours in your day. And if you are a morning person, amazing, because the rest of the world hasn't really woken up at that point. The rest of your country hasn't woken up yet. And you're not in the, you're in a different rhythm. Perhaps now under lockdown, it's hmm. that rhythm has like changed 24 hours. So we yeah. can pick any time of the day, but on a regular working schedule, um, I found that waking up between 5 and 6 a.m., which meant I had to go to bed about 10, between 10 and 11, um, I then could get three hours of solid writing done. And I would work on five of the fembots um, at a time, because as I know you both know, they are grouped. They're grouped in like sets, essentially. They're the one archetype, the magician or whatever it is. or Whichever the archetypes, they have four expressions. So they have a pieces suit, which is relating to the, our world, the first aspect, the physical. There's a movement suit, which relates to the second aspect of spontaneity, to the soul. And the third aspect is represented in this by the lights suit. Mm -hmm. The fourth suit is called diamonds, which is how they all integrate. So you could look at an archetype like the empress or the priestess and explore her through four different aspects. Um, so it's something you could actually use in one respect of say, let's say that you had someone had poor boundaries in their life, didn't feel a sense of potency an ability to hold a masculine energy of presence and boundary, then work with the emperor suit, which is the fourth one. And you could work across it. So you've got all five, you've got the emperor, and then you've got all four expressions of the emperor. Or if you felt that perhaps, like for me, we will have a bias. My bias is the second aspect. I am much more comfortable in spontaneity and curiosity and play than I am in structure or in stillness. And so if I wanted to explore, say, cultivating deeper stillness, which I have done over time, then I would work down the light suit, if that makes sense. It makes more sense in the book itself. If you have a look at the introduction, it kind of just explains in the how to use it section, how it's essentially a map that you can work with methodically or you can work with intuitively, mm. yeah. as most people do with an Oracle deck. But yeah. for the text, I knew that I wanted it to be a finished piece. Mm. And I knew that it wasn't, I just knew in my heart it wasn't, but I also knew I could only do what I could do back then. Yeah. And yeah. for whatever reason, I don't know why I feel like, the time was right and it was and so all 78 have been finished and i'm really happy with them great um that leads very nicely on to the next question which is how can people access your work what a nice question um <laughs> so if they go to the femboracle.com everything yeah. related to the Fember oracle is there there will always be a copy uh, that people can click on very simply if they put in their email address on there then they get to keep in touch and i can tell them when the physical uh, book is available mm -hmm. uh, with the with the deck and also i'll send them then uh, some videos explaining different protocols that you can use because there's a very simple protocol for it as in you tune into this grid and pick one and then see how it works for you for that day but there's some more ways you can work with it to go into greater depth you could also go to deepenyourcreativity.com which is my main site which has reference to the fember oracle but everything else i do from the theory i talked about the formula the curve everything else I've been working on for the last 17 years is there mm. along with other artwork of mine um, that I hope can also support that kind of tool and transmission. Also on Facebook, um, the Art More From Heart group, which you're yes. both members of, um, is searchable under that name. It's a private closed group, but anyone that wants to join, I will very happily admit them. So if they just Google Art More From Heart and hopefully there'll be some place with all the links. And yeah. there's also um, on Facebook, Deepen Your Creativity as well is okay. the name of the page. 
great. great. On Instagram, I'm on neoheart333. So that's my um, Instagram. And, and uh, are you still offering one-to-one sessions? Yes, I work with people using the FEMBA Oracle, either online or in person, but I also do coaching work. With the coaching work, I generally work in blocks of six for people, but I'm very happy to have like a preliminary uh, free conversation with people just to see whether we're a good match for each other. Mm. And all of those details they can find on deepenyourcreativity.com. Great. Thank you, Neo. That's been so (laughs) powerful. Beautiful conversation. Really, really, really. I love what you're bringing, bringing through and your experience and perspective on creative creativity as a spiritual practice so thank you for thank you for sharing everything you shared today really Mm, yeah i really enjoyed listening to you thank you both so much and thank you both for creating this it's incredible and i'm really excited to hear all your other podcasts and really honored to be invited on this to to talk like this i've really enjoyed it Mm, me too okay lots of love bye bye lots of love Bye 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 bye